Good morning. This morning, we're going to look at the question of how can we be a community of hope? I know we've had lots of talks about hope, and it's a really, really important subject at this time. Um, We're going to be looking at it from a little different perspective because we're thinking about being a community of hope rather than just the concept of hope, um, which we've maybe looked at before. We're going to look at um, a passage towards the end of the letter of Romans, Paul's letter to the Romans, and we're going to look at this together now, Romans 15. For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, so that by steadfastness and by the encouragement of the scriptures we might have hope. May the God of steadfastness and encouragement grant you to live in harmony with one another in accordance with Christ Jesus, so that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Welcome one another, therefore, just as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. So this short passage describes for us how we can be a community of hope. First of all, it says that because we've got the scriptures which um, teach us how to be steadfast and encourage us um, about how we can be the people of God. And because we have God himself, who is also steadfast and encourages us, um, we can be that community and those people that we're meant to be. And it says that those scriptures and God himself is enabling us to be people of hope. Interesting that word steadfast means resolutely, dutifully firm and unwavering. That's quite strong, isn't it? It's a real admonition to us to be people who know exactly what we're doing, exactly where we're going. And then it talks about living in harmony with one another in accordance with Christ Jesus and with one voice glorifying the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. We're to welcome one another just as Christ welcomed us so that God will be glorified. Okay, well, that makes it all sound quite cosy. And because I'm an idealist, as a mum, I just love the thought of everyone being together. I don't like confrontation. I don't like there being any aggravation. I just want everyone to be happy and enjoy one another's company and have a great time. And in some ways, that passage seems to be saying that. It's interesting, it's been Mental Health Awareness Week this week, and I really want to recommend to you, uh, if you haven't seen it already, Becky Stevens' talk from a couple of weeks ago, and you'll be able to find that if you go um, back to our website. I'm not an expert on mental health, but I do know that anxiety and depression and many other conditions are based around the idea of dissonance between the the way things should be and the way things are. There's a tension and a paradox, and disappointment and despair are all around. And that's the reality for us, isn't it? So yes, we have the scriptures, and yes, we have the God who is steadfast to encourage us, but even that has problems. I personally have about five or six emails every day from different groups um, telling me how to interpret the scriptures And all of those in different ways. And not only that, but they're telling me how to understand God himself in different ways. 
So whilst we can say yes and amen to this scripture we've just read in Romans, we need to acknowledge that the world that we live in has many, many choices and the multiples of choice that we have every day, that we have to make every day, can literally blow our minds. When the letters were written in the New Testament, they were being written into situations where the writer was trying to bring about transformation in the communities that they were writing to. So when Paul wrote that letter to the, to the Roman uh, followers of Jesus, he was encouraging them to be different than they were already. So we don't have to think that we're that perfect community that this scripture talks about because all of us who are a group of people, uh, whether Christian or not, are going to be able to be um, told where we can get better, where we can get stronger. And this is what Paul was doing. Um, he was writing this letter to the group uh, that was far from achieving this. And he was helping them to realize how they could improve and how God could become um, more in, within them and Christ could be formed more in them as a group of people. This group of people consisted of Gentiles, people of every social class. There were Jews, there were powerful men, not so powerful men. There were women, uh, mostly not powerful. Children, a large percentage of these people would have been slaves. In the Roman Empire at that time, when the Romans won a battle, they would bring back the booty from the battle, and this would include women and children from all the nations where they'd fought and won. There may even have been people from Britain in the mix. Um, some scholars say that 40% of people in the group that Paul is writing to would have been slaves. And slaves and women were the property of their masters, who of course were always men at that time. The masters would treat the slaves however they liked, and they could use and abuse them however they liked. So how as a community within this society could these people have hope? How could they be steadfast, which means resolutely and dutifully firm and unwavering in following the way of Christ, or in even knowing what that was, when there was such difference between them? How could they, as a group of believers, live differently than the people around them with different values and a different way of showing love and unity and community? How could there be harmony when they lifted their voices together when you think that they were a group like that? I think of discord rather than harmony. Well, if you went to Sunday school, you will know that the answer to any question asked in church is going to be Jesus. And yes, the answer is Jesus, because the scriptures point towards Jesus as God's ultimate deliverer. God is the God and Father of Jesus Christ, and we are to imitate Jesus in the way that we welcome each other. We're to open our lives up to each other in the same sacrificial way that Jesus has opened up his life to us. And that word welcome speaks volumes, doesn't it? It's not just put up with each other, it's welcome each other. I believe that in order for us to achieve this unity and this harmony, 
and this hope for the future together, we need to first acknowledge our difference. And once we've done that, for us to factor that in when we extend our welcome to one another. I mean, it's obvious if we're talking about children and how they should relate to adults, um, or at least it's more obvious anyway. And certainly in this country, we have firm guidelines which help us to build in safeguarding measures so that everyone's kept safe. And funnily enough, this was one of the main purposes of the Torah in the Old Testament. It wasn't just the Ten Commandments that were written on the stone that were given to the people, but it was the 600 plus other laws which helped people to be safe and to relate well to one another. So I don't mean for us that we should have these 600 laws or that we should have hierarchical structures or formal systems that need to be in place, but I do believe that we need to recognise how to overcome discrimination and prejudice within our church communities that should reflect the glory of God and that we should be better with the Holy Spirit than you would expect to see people, a group of people, without this is going to be uncomfortable for some people, but I believe that God's voice will come to us through the discomfort and in allowing him to contest our comfort zones. Someone I've been thinking about a lot in lockdown is Anne Frank. I don't know if you know much about her story, but she was held in captivity for 25 months until the whole group that she was in were discovered in August 1944. She was then taken to the Auschwitz concentration camp and died just before the war ended. There were two families and one other person who were not only in lockdown in a house together, but um, they were in a secret annex which was... Um, made to protect them from the Nazis. They weren't able to go out shopping or do exercise at all. They had to be silent so that the people in the shop below couldn't hear them or know that they were there. Anne Frank's father discovered a diary that she'd written and she'd started as a 13-year-old girl and was able to get it published. It's been a crucial um, historical document for understanding the tribulations of that time. Who knows the treasures that will come out of our lockdown? I really encourage all of us um, and the children, write down your thoughts and your dreams and your experiences and be creative and, and keep them safe um, because if nothing else, we'll be able to tell our uh, future generations what we've experienced at this time. This um, is a famous quote that came out of Anne Frank's diary. In spite of everything, I still believe that people are really good at heart. And this kind of positive, amazing faith comes out um, through the quotations that we know about in her diary and that smiling face. She's become a symbol of hope. It's interesting that if you start to look a bit further at the story of her diary and how it came into print, um, you've, you'll learn that the more contentious and controversial bits were left out. Um, 
so although we've, we know that there are so many inspirational gems and the actual story itself is totally amazing, um, behind that and within that, there were doubts and there were fears and there was hopelessness and there was despair and there was tension in the house and there were misunderstandings that went on. There were fights that they had. There was hatred for her mother. Does this ring any bells, families in lockdown? So please, guys, don't beat yourselves up. We're human. We fight. We love each other. But we don't always know how to treat each other well. If a young woman who faced so much adversity can say this about the human race, then we can believe it too, can't we? We've seen it. We've seen people step up and help their communities. We've got people who volunteer for us here and give their time and energy to help the community. And um, we can all remember that initial outbreak. Um, when the initial outbreak happened, there was a, such a sense of unity, uh, of us facing a common enemy and fighting it together. Um, I don't know about you, but I'm increasingly realizing and feeling the tension um, of difference and different ways of looking at things, different opinions. Um, and everything now we realize can't be subsumed under this COVID-19 heading. And it can't be assumed that once we've dealt with COVID-19, everything else is going to be fixed as well and we will be able to go back to normal. Between the scientists who do the research and the politicians who, who make the decisions, the amazing NHS who fight the virus, the key workers, the caregivers, the cleaners, the retailers selling food and provisions, the refuse collectors, all those in all of the service industries, all those who are keeping safe and staying home, we've come a long way. But just like this candle that shines in the darkness, our strategy has both defied the problem and defined it. And I'm not going to address the appropriateness of the strategy that we've, we've been keeping. Um, I'm going to make some comments on it, though, because it has defied it. It's defied the problem. It's defied the darkness because we have decreased the R, but we have defined the problem as well because the people who are most at risk and we've realised um, are most vulnerable are the vulnerable and the, the, the least safe in our societies. Those who are economically poorer or those who have a real sense of moral responsibility and have had in their vocational callings. Of course, the, the doctors and the, the, the police and, and those people who have been head on with the virus. And also because um, many, many people in key worker jobs have had more exposure to the viral load in their work, in the work that they do. And often um, those same people in... Uh, in, in a poorer economic um, areas have gone back to more crowded households in smaller homes, less open spaces available for exercise, all conducive to um, contracting the virus and spreading the virus in ways that they can't help. 
The government has just turned policy due to activist pressure that was saying that the families of key workers who have died due to COVID must be deported from these, this country, those who were asked to come in in those roles. Um, and they, they, they were going to have to be returned to their own countries, the families who have lost people. Um, these people also have had no access to public funding and if one of them has the virus, the others need to look after them. There is no uh, help for them. There is no way that they can afford to eat or, or pay their rents. Um, there's also been issues around them having to pay for their own NHS treatment when they themselves are on the front lines protecting people. So there's obviously many injustices there. Ben Lindsay, who was here with us in January and spoke to us, um, has written an article recently uh, commenting on the research about how the BAME, the Black and Minority Ethnic um, group within our society, has experienced a far greater percentage of deaths during the pandemic. Um, and Within the journal, uh, within the journalism, there was an awful lot of insinuation and speculation which were really discriminatory and racist. For example, the pictures of our NHS displayed um, on, on TV and, and uh, in the media didn't represent the high number of black and minority ethnic people who crucially work as doctors and nurses. And it's well known that this is one reason why there's been a high percentage of BAME deaths. They've been fighting the virus full on with not enough PPE. Also, a huge number of overseas workers have been welcomed into this country um, who are of BAME origin. And they have specifically taken up jobs within our care services. And as mentioned above, we've enjoyed their contribution, but not remunerated them or recognised the value of their lives by ensuring their health and their economic and social well-being. Elderly and disabled people are not only feeling marginalised and misunderstood, which they were feeling anyway, but they're also feeling that they are a burden on the world. Added to this, you only need to speak to people working overseas in countries which were torn apart by war and poverty before all this happened to understand the terrible hell that they are now living in with the COVID-19 epidemic. How do we live with hope in a situation like this? What does hope even look like for some of those people? We could give talks about how Jesus brings hope. There's plenty of nice things from the Bible we could say at this point. But what does hope mean in today's world for everyone? And how can it be the thing that inspires us to go forward, to reboot, as some people are saying, into the unknown world which is ahead? Hope is meant to make us feel good. It's supposed to help us get up in the morning and it's supposed to be the opposite of despair or hopelessness. But I found this idea of hope, which is a quote from St. Augustine, and I think it expresses amazingly well the idea of what we talked about earlier of anguish as well as 
a nice feeling of serenity. He says that hope has two beautiful daughters and their names are anger and courage. Anger at the way things are and courage to see that they do not remain as they are. I think that is an amazing description of biblical hope. Um, I think hope does not necessarily make us feel better. It does impassion us and it does give us a, 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 a purpose and a meaning to be heading towards. But I'm convinced that everyone who's ever changed the world has been mentally unstable. We have an unreal expectation about what stability looks like. I think we're supposed to be anxious when things are wrong, when things are not right. But it's what we do with it that determines whether it can be used in a positive or a negative way. Thinking back to the original verses, both the scriptures and God encourage us so that we can be steadfast and unwavering and then united and harmonious in our worship together, which of course includes how we live and what we sing. But in order to be steadfast and harmonious, we need to know what to be angry about. Our anger will include many things. It includes the notion of disappointment. It includes the notion of unmet expectations, but it's also that absolute feeling of injustice in a particular situation and all of these things should lead us to know how we can lament and actually corporate lament is a really really important thing that we need to be able to do together when we draw together as a community it's not just happy clappy which some people like to put that label on certain churches. But as well as being able to rejoice together, we need to know how to weep together, how to recognise injustice together, and how to call out to God against it. So it needs a common recognition of what is not right, what we should be angry about, and then it needs a common courage of how we rise up together and help to overcome it. Yes, we should be feeding people who are in food crisis, but also let's think about how we should and could, and in the future this is going to be a massive, massive deal, how we can help to overcome the unjust structures that hold people back from opportunity and from thriving. Ben um, Lindsay encouraged us not just to be... Um, not racist in saying, well, I'm not racist, but actually we need to be anti-racist. We need to actually come against the things that are causing those attitudes and that powerful uh, evil within our society. And we need to be anti-poverty rather than just saying, I don't agree with poverty. We need to actively come against it. I went on a beautiful walk near our house uh, and I'm very privileged to be able to take my exercise in a beautiful place. And walking along the river, I took this picture. Amazing. Mum and dad, presumably. Little chicks. And um, 
What you can't see in the picture is that the goose on the left was actually hissing at me. And um, so much so that its beautiful head, to me, looked and sounded more like a snake than a goose. Look how anger happens when you want to protect someone you love. This is how we should be at the injustice in the world. We're not here to just be sweet and accommodating, to enjoy our privilege or to allow people to treat us like doormats. We're here to look after one another. We must look out for one another. So let's go back to the church in Rome, that group of people which included so much difference, so much injustice, so much disappointment, so much in need of change before it could ever reach that ideal that Paul said in another letter, whereby there would be no longer Jew or Greek or slave or free person or male or female. Not that there wouldn't be any of those kind of people, but there wouldn't be the difference. There wouldn't be the, the hierarchy that those things, those groups created in society, but that it would all be one in Christ Jesus. And that has got to be the centre of our hope. That's what scripture points towards. That's what Jesus points towards. That's what the God of steadfastness and encouragement points towards. So starting with our church community as a model that we display and endorse to the wider world. Let's allow ourselves to be defined by Jesus Christ in our midst. Jesus, who gave up what he could have had in order that we could have what he has. Another way of saying it, Jesus, who gave up what he could have been in order that we can be who he is. We can be part of who he is. It doesn't mean we become Jesus but we become part of his body he he scoops us up as humanity that we were meant to be and helps us to be the people to rule this earth that he created so we need to understand the culture we need to discern with the spirit we need to be alert we're being told that aren't we now we need to be alert and we need to be alert in so many different areas of life, we need to be alert spiritually. We need to understand the truth and see the truth so that we can speak truth to the powers within our systems and our communities. Uh, because we want to be an influence for good and we need to use our power as an influence for good within our society. So we need to keep, under, keep asking this question about what true hope means for us today. What does the truth look like? What should we be angry at? And how can we have the courage to make sure that that thing that makes us angry doesn't have to stay that way? Here's another scripture um, at the end of that chapter that we just read. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Together, let's let that hope in us produce those two beautiful daughters. Anger against what is wrong and courage to do something about changing it.